Welcome to Grid Talk, a series of conversations with the leaders and innovators shaping the 21st century grid. Hosting the podcast is Marty Rosenberg, an award-winning energy journalist. The series is sponsored by the Department of Energy's Office of Electricity Advanced Grid Research Division. Now, here's Marty Rosenberg with Grid Talk. Hi, welcome to Grid Talk. Today, we have with us Lauren Faber O'Connor, the Chief Sustainability Officer for the City of Los Angeles. Hi, Lauren. How are you today? I'm great, Marty. Thanks for having me. Well, we've got a lot to talk about, and... um, A lot of folks, including myself, did not until recently know about LA 100. Um, The state of California has as its objective to be renewable by 2045. And as I understand it, LA 100 says maybe we could beat that by a decade. Um, How are you going to do that? That is correct. Uh, Thanks to this incredible partnership that the Los Angeles Department of Water and Power our, the city of Los Angeles' municipal utility, the largest municipal utility in the country, uh, partnership inked with the National Renewable Energy Laboratory. Of course, you know, a premier lab of the Department of the U.S. Department of Energy. This was over three and a half years ago, came together and said, we need to figure out our path to 100% renewable energy. We have to get off of fossil fuels and determine our clean energy future. We have the power within this city to be able to do that because we, you know, control our energy operations through our municipal utility. So an incredibly exciting prospect. Let's stop right there. And we're going back to 2016 or 2017 and or 17 when the city council and Mayor Garcetti directed LADWP to start figuring out the strategy and an investment path to getting to 100% renewable. Right. That was the dawn of the Trump era. What did LA feel like um, going basically on its own on, on this path? And uh, do you think it's been justified? It was a really interesting time. In fact, at the you know beginning of 2016, we were just on the heels of and still very much dealing with a, an unmitigated uh, natural gas blowout in the Aliso Canyon uh, natural gas um, blowout happening over very, very close to a neighborhood in Los Angeles called Porter Ranch. And, you know, we had many, many households that were displaced uh, for months on end. And this was this was an incredible disaster that affected so many people in Los Angeles and was unmitigated for so long. And it really did wake up Angelinos to the, the perils of a fossil fuel dependent economy um, and something that Mayor Garcetti had already been, you know, calling a lot of attention to. We had the sustainability plan, the sustainable city plan of 2015 that called on significant renewable energy commitments. But it was really this moment um, that said, we, we're going to figure out our path. And so, yes. So folks that don't know the political and cultural climate in L.A., um, let's draw an analogy to the COVID vaccine nationally, where there's pockets of states that endorse it and primarily blue states. And uh, there are other regions that are red that don't get inoculated at quite the same rate. Tell us the city of Los Angeles and its LA 100 project. Is it universal buy-in? Is there a split in the city? What's the mood and what's the consensus around this? 
You know, it's a really interesting question because I think that every, I think there's wide consensus that a clean energy future is, is where we need to go and that LA is in a position to lead. Part of what we did to try to get at, you know, your question of how do we, how do we ensure this consensus across Los Angeles is that this, this comprehensive study between DWP and NREL included an advisory group of dozens of stakeholders across the city representing, you know, major customers of, you know, of, uh, of major electricity users, customers of the Los Angeles Department of Water and Power, neighborhood councils, environmental justice organizations, environmental advocates, ratepayer advocates, labor, really across the board to be part of the process to understand how do we chart out the questions that we're trying to answer and then coming together and understanding how do we reach the conclusions that we did reach. And I have to tell you that we didn't know what we were going to find out when we started. We really didn't know what was coming out on the other end. We didn't necessarily know that what, you know, cutting to the chase, what the conclusion of LA 100 is, is that a 100% renewable energy grid is achievable, reliable, and affordable. And that is what, you know, that is what um, helped uh, the mayor move forward with a 10-year, as you say, 10-year acceleration of our zero carbon grid goal. So the the study was launched after, at the direction of the city council involving wide range of groups and NREL. Um, the head of NREL, Dr. Keller, said, quote, the scale of this undertaking cannot be overstated. Yeah. And you, Lauren, said it was unprecedented. And you also said, we don't like to shy away from challenges, and neither does NREL. Mm -hmm. So with LA, we're dealing with the second largest city in America, close to 4 million population. It's uh, ranked as the fourth richest city in the world. It has a gross economic metro product of about a trillion dollars. This is not some small-scale pilot. Talk a, a bit about what you and Mayor Garcetti see as the national and international implications of what you're about to embark on. Yeah, I think you're you're exactly right that uh, not only are we doing right by Angelinos by leading the charge and really making sure that we are ushering in a clean and reliable and affordable energy system, uh, but we know that what we do in L.A. has reverberations way beyond our borders. The mayor takes that responsibility extremely seriously as well, understanding that climate change is, is indeed a global challenge. And so what we do here really matters on the global stage. We are moving markets when it comes to our pursuit of renewable energy, of distributed local uh, clean generation new technologies that we're piloting here in Los Angeles, it has the ability to really move and commercialize new types of technology that is going to be needed, not just in LA, but anywhere else. And so when, when other cities see this, and what I'm so excited to see from NREL and from, from you know, the Department of Energy all the way up to our new wonderful DOE Secretary Granholm, is in understanding that this study, this effort can be can be designed in a way that can meet the needs of many cities across the, the country and the world, and that they're 
going to, it seems like retooling the effort to, to be able to take it way beyond LA. Would you, do you know any other city, uh, London, Paris, any other city in the world that's embarking on something quite the scope and scale of what LA is doing here? No, it doesn't. I can't think of something of, uh, of a city off the top of my head, but you know, so many cities are taking on this challenge in different ways. Again, one of the things that things that is unique to LA is our municipally controlled utility that doesn't just deliver the electricity, isn't just in charge of the poles and wires and the billing system, but actually builds the generation, owns and operates the generation uh, that you know those those big wind farms, the the solar big solar farms and battery installations. Um, but also manages the grid, the actual management of the electrons running through so that we are ensuring we're meeting supply and demand 24-7. So we have a lot of agency, and that's what made this so so complicated and comprehensive. But there are cities across the, the country that are looking at how are they going to be able to manage their 100% renewable energy future given you know, they either buy from a private utility or themselves may own their own public utility as well. So given the power of this integration of city, city policy, the utility generation, is that to say and suggest that other cities, large cities like New York or Chicago that have investor-owned utilities might not be able to replicate what you're doing in LA or are there lessons that they're watching and possibly learning from? I think there are a number of lessons. One of the things that we've seen even just out of L.A. County. Now, of course, L.A. City being the largest city in, you know, the much larger uh, L.A. County, um, they themselves put together a what's called the Clean Power Alliance, their own, uh, basically their own utility company for uh, unincorporated parts of L.A. County and now taking it city by city within the county, and they're offering, you know, 100% renewable energy and and going out and uh, inking those contracts with renewable energy uh, generation themselves. So, so a lot of cities and counties, jurisdictions are taking control of their energy system through the proliferation of, you know, community choice aggregation and other types of programs, which does require, you know, a partnership with some of the private utilities. But I think we're really seeing a new trend of, uh, you know, localities wanting to take control of their energy system and, and have agency over over uh, the the energy that they are um, using locally. So let's drill down now into the LA 100 story. Yeah, uh, we're sitting here in 2021. You have 14 years to take the fourth richest city in the world and make it 100% renewable. Sketch out what the timeline is, what you're going to be doing this year, next year, the next five years and beyond. How is it going to play out? The study was so exciting because it really does demonstrate that there are multiple pathways to get to this end goal. And it also shows that we're well on our way with, with the way DWP has been uh, making its own plans through its resource planning over the years. So we have you know, uh, hundreds of megawatts of, of renewable generation in the pipeline, thousands of megawatts in the pipeline already. Um, just in just last year, you know, a, a really tough year globally because of the pandemic, 
just in that year alone, we were uh, able to um, begin development of two renewable energy projects that alone would add an additional 13% renewable energy to our portfolio. This is a combination of solar and batteries through the Eland Solar and Storage Center in Kern County, which is one of the largest solar and battery energy storage systems in the country, um, as well as the Red Cloud Wind Farm located in New Mexico. That will be online by the end of the year and is going to deliver enough clean energy to power, you know, 222,000 homes in Los Angeles. So in one year alone, we've already added 13% renewable energy. Uh, this is just, you know, the way we're going to be seeing DWP move forward year after year over the next, as you say, uh, you know, 13 plus years and, and beyond. Just so I understand, Lauren, when you say added 13%, did you increase your renewable portfolio by 13% or do you have 13% of your generation now renewable? Oh, we already have uh, over 40% of our generation in the, in the city as renewable. In fact, 52% of LA's uh, generation or energy mix already is carbon-free. 52% is carbon-free as of today. This is now when they come online, so the Red, La uh, Red Cloud coming online at the end of the year and Elin Solar and Storage coming online uh, just a, a year or two later, that will have bumped up as, you know, that 40% renewable energy, another 13%, just those two projects alone. So we expect to be at 80% renewable energy in our portfolio by 2030. That's an unprecedented acceleration, 97% carbon-free by 2030. So how, in a, a scenario as bold as this and, and fast-moving as this, uh, do you anticipate, do you write in the development of technologies that might not be there, for instance, can you do this with today's storage technology or do you need new kinds of storage coming along down the pike? The, the study showed that a lot of the technology is available, that we can get upwards of 80% total uh, achieved through wind and solar alone. And of course, you know, smart grid management, um, which is, you know, deploying technologies in our uh, in our wires and in people's homes and businesses that, that does exist. So we can get a significant amount of the way there. There is, uh, it is clear that we will need uh, technology that offers a little bit longer, longer term, you know, either storage or generation in really, really kind of uh, rare, but likely moments of either peak or just as you know, insurance policies to have it in a backup uh, capacity, which you know you have to have a certain amount of of backup, you know, over and above your regular supply for peak high heat days, which of course we expect more and more of. Um, and NREL took into account climate change and climate impacts of of high heat and the needs associated with that, and the grid grid stability issues associated with you know heat waves. Took all of that into account. So that's where um, discussions of new technologies like green hydrogen come into play, that they can, they, they can play a role 
um, on the on the margins, but really important role when they're needed. And that, you know, allows for fully zero, you know, fully zero carbon, renewably generated fuel um, that can be, you know, longer duration when it comes to generation and the ability to store that fuel. Talk to us about EVs. Uh, how big is the electrification of transportation today, and how do you see it expanding in coming years? Well, in LA, we're really bullish about electrification of the transportation sector because of, I mean, a number of issues, but really because of the, you know, the air pollution uh, mandate in terms of cleaning up the air coming from the transportation sector. You know, as expected, it's the number one contributor to to smog in LA and the second largest contributor of greenhouse gas emissions right behind buildings uh, in Los Angeles. And so, you know, we have been working really hard for a long time and Mayor Garcetti is very passionate about all these issues and particularly about transportation decarbonization. We have more electric vehicle chargers public, you know, commercially publicly available than any city in the country. We surpassed our 10,000 uh, commercial EV chargers goal by two years. We're already at 12,000 uh, plus commercially available EV chargers. So that's on the street, in parking lots, in employee lots, in multifamily um, uh, buildings, where really important areas to, to get people where they live and where they work, as well as, you know, just on street and off street. Uh, so we're working, we're really pushing hard in all that those areas. And what's exciting about the study is that it showed that when you couple electrification of other sectors, so transportation and buildings, it actually helps lower the cost of meeting that 100% renewable energy grid and, of course, is increasing the air quality and health benefits. So LA100 just reinforced how all these things need to work together and how we actually benefit by them working together. Have you done any estimates of what the economic impact of this project would be? I mean, in terms of jobs generated, new businesses started, energy savings? The study does, yeah, it does look at some of that. And that's another reason why I think, you know, Martin um, over at NREL would say this is one of the most comprehensive things. It was exciting to see how NREL and the city also partner with local universities. So, you know, USC, UCLA all play big roles in, in different parts of the analysis, whether that was the air quality analysis, the economic impact, the jobs impact, they all, all these um, organizations and really powerful institutions were working together. And so we did look at things like, you know, the employment impacts of LA100. And it really uh, did focus the the employment question on specifically like the power sector spending. So it didn't look at things like transportation electrification or the buildings, you know, retrofits and retooling that we know are really important. So we know it's really over and above what it sh what uh, the analysis even showed. But I mean, it was showing on the order of thirteen thousand jobs. Uh, annually, on average, just from the grid and generation, you know, uh, clean energy generation itself. Uh, really exciting things. It also showed, you know, significant reductions. Lauren, just so I'm clear, yeah. 13,000 new jobs per year being created? This is annual employment 
in the power sector from the LA 100 spending. So, so there's a lot of there's a lot of investment already in play. A lot of jobs that are already in play, of course, uh, through the the power sector. But this is this has to do with that 10 year acceleration to 2035. Uh, and what we have to do to get there. That's that 13,000 annual job. So there'll be 13,000 jobs tied with this, not 13,000 growth every year. Is that right? It, well, it's. Uh, I guess you would say it's like a steady 13,000 each year. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Again, that's over and above where, you know, the investments that DWP already has in place, and that does not include... Uh, the work that has to be done to retrofit all of our buildings, to, you know, electrify them, uh, to make them zero carbon, as well as installing the charging infrastructure and, you know, building out our zero emission transportation sector as well. Does NREL have any ongoing engagement or is its job basically done? This partnership has been so fruitful, and it's been really wonderful to see how both LADWP, how our community at large, and how DOE has really valued it. And so the next step, um, one of the really important conclusions of, of this first massive study is that there's there's still more that can be done on the um, equity implications and approaches to implementation that really... Um, focus on and prioritize equity in our communities. That's from a, an inclusive process standpoint, but also that the outcomes are benefiting frontline communities, communities in greatest need, either from underinvestment in their neighborhoods or also really just mostly impacted from uh, poor air and impacted from you know industrial um, operations and, and the energy industry overall. So now NREL is embarking on a project with LADWP focusing on um, an equity study and engagement in uh, engagement with communities over the next three years uh, in order to really in order to really ensure that the implementation of LA 100 has has benefits that are you know really prioritizing communities that need it the most. Lorna, I'd like to talk about you and the journey you're on here. You've worked for Mayor Garcetti for six years. Before that, you were West Coast political director for the Environmental Defense Fund for three years. And you worked four and a half years in the British Embassy. Uh, you're not a Brit, are you? I assume it was just a professional job. I'm not. I mean, I felt like one by the end of it. But no, I'm not. I'm actually born and raised Angelina. <laughs> okay. So given this track record. Talk about what you feel about the work you're doing, how you approach it every day, how consuming it is, and and uh, how you've prepared for this journey that, that you're taking part on. Well, thank you for the question. You know, anyone who's in this work is, is a, a passion project. It's not just going to work every day. And, you know, growing up in Los Angeles, I, I knew immediately, you know, when I was thinking about my future, thinking about college, that I wanted to work in the environment. I wanted to improve the air that, I, you know, I was experiencing myself growing up in Los Angeles uh, and learning about these issues and what they really mean to our, our health and our future. This is something I knew I wanted to work on. I did, I did kind of in my early career 
really believed that you had to go to the international scale, international solutions uh, to get to this international problem of climate change, this global crisis. And it, it was incredibly impactful and incredibly exciting. The thing I did after leaving the British Embassy, though, was to go work for the state of California. Uh, the state was working on its Global Warming Solutions Act and implementing it. And I thought, okay, I've, I've been working at the international scale, a lot of work at the national scale with Congress, with the White House, but it's time to go home to California. California is really making an impact. It's going to make an impact on the rest of the world. I'm going to, I'm going to come home to California and work for the, for the state at the California EPA. Also an, inc an incredible opportunity and place to have, uh, I think, an outsized influence on climate change and clean energy. But then as I got further and further into my career, I think it's just really fascinating to me personally that I, I kept getting closer and closer to the local scale. I never in a million years thought growing up in Los Angeles that I would work in Los Angeles and for the city because growing up here, I didn't think that that was where to have the most impact and that that's what LA really stood for and wanted to be. And that has completely changed. I could not be more proud uh, to be here, to be working for the mayor who himself has just embodied these issues, uh, but also couldn't be more proud to be in a place where I, I think that we are having a global impact, that the city of Los Angeles is operating on the global stage and helping communities, our neighboring communities, as well as uh, really showing the rest of the world how it can be done. Thank you, Lauren. Thank you so much. Thanks for listening to Grid Talk. We've been talking with Lauren Faber O'Connor, Chief Sustainability Officer of LA. By the way, how many are there in the in the world? Chief Sustainability Officers? Yeah, for major cities. Yeah, you know, it, it, this is becoming much more uh, a mainstream, important key part of of most local government's operations is sustainability. So we have a really strong network, both nationwide and globally. That's where we'll start our next conversation. <laughs> wonderful. You have been listening to Grid Talk. Please send us feedback or questions at gridtalk at nrel.gov. We encourage you to give the podcast a rating or review on your favorite platform. For information or to subscribe, please visit smartgrid.gov. Thanks for listening to Grid Talk, presented by the U.S. Department of Energy Office of Electricity Advanced Grid Research Division. Subscribe through your favorite podcast provider or visit smartgrid.gov for more information.